Welcome to My Favorite Theorem, a math podcast with no quiz at the end. I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida, and I'm joined today by my fabulous co-host. Hi, I'm Evelyn Lamb, a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City, where we are preparing for another snowstorm this week after we had one last week, which is great because we are so low on water right now, mm. and we need every bit of precipitation. So even though I'm from Texas, and I don't naturally love shoveling snow or being below 50 degrees. I am thrilled that we're supposed to get snow tonight. So I, when I lived in Michigan, I, you know, I, I grew up in North Carolina, so snow was a thing, but we didn't shovel it. You know, we just sort of lived with it. Uh, and I had a neighbor across the street who was in his 70s, and he had a snowblower, and he let me use it. And I thought, this is amazing. So uh, if you and John haven't invested in a snowblower yet, you know, maybe it's time. But uh, Well, yeah. we'll see. Climate change means that we might have to do less and less uh, snow shoveling. Well, it's, it's true. Actually, I remember growing up, you know, the skiing was a thing in North Carolina. And I think you might still be able to, but the, like the natural snow ski resorts kind of, they have to manufacture all their snow now. It's, it, it's, things have changed even in my lifetime, but it's not real. Yeah. Um, so uh, as we're told, it's not real. Um, sorry to editorialize. Anyway, let's talk math. Uh, today we are pleased to welcome uh, Courtney Gibbons. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Courtney Gibbons. I will see far more snow up here in Clinton, New York than either of you, I think. <laughs> Definitely. I just, sent in, I just sent in my plowing contract for the year, so that's awesome. Make sure that I uh, don't have to shovel or snow blow my <laughs> own driveway, which is not long. Yeah. Uh, I'm a professor. I'm an associate professor of mathematics at Hamilton College up here in beautiful Clinton, New York. Uh, there is a Hamilton, New York, but that's where Colgate is. So don't don't get them oh. confused. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. it's, it's weird. Yeah. Uh, it's a strange thing. Yeah. I at think, least it's like, not the whole Indiana University of Pennsylvania thing. Cause that, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah okay. No, yeah. I, I think there was an incident on one of our campuses where like Albany sent some kind of emergency response squad to the wrong Hamilton. Mm. Uh, but they're only 20 minutes away. So, you know, it was a quick, a quick fix. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, welcome. Um, Thank so, you. I mean, well, maybe we just get into it. So we, yeah, well, we, I, I will well, say yeah. that we have talked to Courtney before on the podcast, although extremely briefly, yep. um, when we, I guess this must have been uh, the joint meetings in 2019, a decade ago. Ha ha ha. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that uh, we we had people give us, you know, little like minute or two sound bites right. of their favorite theorems. Mm -hmm. And she did talk about a theorem, although I understand it's not the theorem that she's going to talk about today, which I mean, you don't have one and only theorem in your life? <laughs> Come on, Courtney. I am a lover of many theorems. I think sure. back then I mentioned Hilbert's Milstellensatz, which is the beautiful zero-point theorem mm -hmm. that links roots of polynomials to factors of polynomials yes. um, over algebraically closed fields. It's beautiful. It's a really nice theorem. I initially thought I was going to talk about Hilbert's Syzygy theorem today, which, by the mm -hmm. way, Syzygy, S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y, excellent hangman word, it is. Yeah. unless you're yes. playing with people you've used that word on before, in mm -hmm. which case their first guess will be why. <laughs> um, but I decided today I wanted to talk about uh, Emmy Nurther's isomorphism theorem, in mm. part because they're all, all like usually just called the isomorphism theorems, mm -hmm. and Emmy Nurther's attribution gets lost somehow. So I wanted to 
Um, I wanted to talk about those today because I'm a huge Nerther fan. I mean, I'm also mm-hmm. a huge Hilbert fan. You kind of, I think yeah. you have to be a big fan of both. Uh, but these theorems are super cool. They're theorems you could see in your first course in abstract algebra. And um, that's actually where I first saw them. Mm-hmm. I'm a commutative algebraist and I do a lot of homological algebra. So I love arrows. I love, <laughs> I, lo- I love kernels. I love co-kernels. <laughs> I love images. I love anything you can set up in an exact sequence. And I think this was my first exposure to a theorem that was best explained with a diagram. And Mm. I remember at that moment being like, this is what I want to do. I want to draw these arrows. (laughs) And I'm lucky because I got to grow up to do what I want to do. That's kind of funny because when I, I loved abstract algebra when I took it in undergrad. And like, I think as it got more to like, you know, doing like having all these kernels and co-kernels and arrows. That was when I was like, I I just can't do this. It ended up more in geometry and topology. So, you know, different, different things for different people. That's fine. So yeah, let's, let's get into it. So what are these theorems? Excellent. Well, they are often numbered. Um, I grabbed a couple books off my shelf and it wasn't consistent, but Rotman and Dummett and Foote kind of numbered numbered them the same way. So the first one, which is usually the first one that you see, it's true for rings and groups and modules. I I most often use it for modules, but I'll state it for groups. Um, It says that if you've got a homomorphism F from a group G to a group H, then the kernel of that homomorphism is a normal subgroup of your group G, or if you're working with rings, it's an ideal of your ring or mm-hmm. you know a submodule of your module. Um, and you can mod out by it. So you take G mod the kernel and it's gonna be isomorphic to the image of your homomorphism. And so if you've got a surjection from G to H and you are like, I kind of want to build something isomorphic to H, but built out of the parts of G, mm-hmm. you're like, cool, I can just take the kernel and mod out by that and look at the group of cosets of, of that normal subgroup. And you've got this, you, you, like, you're done. You built this cool isomorphism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I advertise it to my students as like a work saving thing. Cause you know, usually you, to build an isomorphism, you've got to show one-to-one injective and onto surjective. Right. And this is like, well, take the thing you want to be isomorphic to, try to imagine it as, you know, a, a better group, a nicer group, mod the kernel of something and build that homomorphism, make it surjective, and then you get one-to-one for free mm-hmm. from this theorem. Um, so I love that. I love this theorem. It's a really, it's a nice theorem. I actually use, I think, I don't um, reference it, but I think when I, when you do the first step of finding a free resolution, which is, which is what I, it's like my bread and butter. I love doing mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. If you're calculating it by hand, you take a module and you surject onto it with, uh, with a, a, a free module. Mm-hmm. Um, and you look at the kernel of that thing, and then you build a map whose image is that kernel. And the big the big deal here is that your module M is isomorphic to the co-kernel of that image map, which is the same thing as what you get from the isomorphism theorem. It's that first free module mod the kernel. Right. So this gives you like a nice presentation for a module. Um, uh, you know, you can do this in certain nice cases. And I always like sort of give a little thanks to Emmy when I start building a free resolution. I'm like, I know that this is your theorem in disguise. Woo. Yeah. You know, I don't think I actually knew that attribution that, that, that Emmy Nuther was the first person to explicitly notice these. But, you know, she's the one who figured out that, you know, homology is a group, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. she was thinking about um, rings and groups and, you know, a lot of the terminology is thanks to her and Hilbert. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when you think about integral domains, I think that was what Hilbert initially called rings. Um, mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I, I dug this up at one point for my students. They were like, where do all yeah. these names come from? That makes sense, right? Because I think of a ring as something that's like the integers. Yeah, it and is. So really. like, yeah. And like when people started generalizing to super bonkers weird examples like um you know the ring of quaternions and stuff you're like okay so like everything isn't quite like the integers but we've got these integral domains the integral being the like like the integers adjective and domain i think of like where stuff lives and it's like yeah the stuff that's like the integers lives here <laughs> yes um, which is which is nice but yeah these these are these are attributed to to emmy um and it, it really bugs me to see them without her name attached since we have hilbert's syzygy theorem and hilbert's nullstall and socks and it's like but what about emmy uh yeah she, she yeah she doesn't get the recognition she deserves i mean everybody knows like she's like a mathematician's yeah. mathematician but uh yeah she she definitely doesn't get the credit a lot of the time it's yeah i will say yeah. i am so so tired of the headline the most you know most important mathematician you've never heard of and i read this and i know you know i know more mathematicians than your average person yeah. but like if it's emmy nurter i'm just like come on i yeah <laughs> you can't say you've never heard of her right a lot of people haven't heard is, of her but, but yeah yeah but it's also interesting you know the way she's talked about because at the time of course it was difficult to be a woman in math you mm -hmm. could be like she like somehow was able to like be a professor although unpaid um right. but it, you know you look at the way people described her and there's that one guy i forget who was who's like i can testify that she was a mathematician but i can't testify to the fact that she was a woman right. you know yeah. and it's like she had like she was accepted because she was so unfeminine and it was like not threatening to the status quo of men doing math to have this like in their words like coarse rough simple soul wearing men's shoes blah 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 right. great heft among them because it's like well she's basically a man um you know so that that always bothered me too i'm not a particularly feminine person but um but occasionally i do feel like i get a little bit of a brush off because you know like oh you're so cute i'm like i'm not cute i'm a big strong mathematician yeah but you know that's okay yeah. i'm aging i'm rapidly getting less cute so you'll become invisible gonna... soon yeah, I know. I'm really, I'm excited for that. It's, yeah. I think I'll enjoy that better than the like, oh, aren't you a cute little mathematician? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so, so all, right, all, right, so, all right, there we go. Now, there, there's yeah. a, there, so there's a first isomorphism theorem, so there must be a second. There's a second, there's a third, there's yeah. a fourth, there's probably a fifth, then at some point you just start calling them nth. I mean, I think yeah. I've only seen four. Um, I'm, I'm only going to talk about the first three because I actually don't really know what the fourth, yeah, fourth one says. Um, but that can be, there's no quiz at the end, but there's homework. You okay. guys can go okay. look up the All fourth, right. the fourth yeah. isomorphism <laughs> theorem. Okay. So the second isomorphism theorem is kind of a special case of the first one. You can prove it using the first one. Um, it says that if you've got a group G and you've got a normal subgroup and you've got, we'll call it N for normal. Um, and you have another subgroup, doesn't have to be normal, so we'll just call it S for subgroup or Sue or whatever. Um, this says a couple of things. It says that you're, the product of S and N is a group, and you form the product the way you would expect. You just multiply pairwise elements together, things from S with things from N. Um, 
The intersection, S intersect N, is a normal subgroup of S, which is a really nice exercise. Mm -hmm. um, and you've got an isomorphism between the product SN mod N and the group of co the quotient group S mod S intersect N. So this is a way of sort of saying like you've got this one group, maybe you don't understand SN really well and you're working with SN mod N. Instead, replace it with a group you might understand better, which was your original group S mod uh, S intersect N, which is a nice normal subgroup. So you get mm -hmm. to kind of, it gives you like some opportunity to work with a nicer group to understand the one you don't know. Um, and the proof of this is you build a surjection from S to SN mod N, you're going to just sort of send S to its coset representative over there and argue mm -hmm. that it's on to. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you are you calculate that the kernel is S intersect N. Sure. And then you, you're like, boom, first isomorphism theorem, take it away, mm -hmm. uh, which is which is really cool. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, uh, it's I don't I don't use this one. As, but yeah, yeah, it's kind of a corollary. But the yeah. diagram is super cool. It looks yeah. like a diamond because you've got like S and uh, S intersect N and then mm -hmm. uh, SN and N and you've got all these things all over the oh, mm -hmm. you got arrows I love the arrows this is exciting <laughs> um and you can put the group G at the or G at the top and you can put the identity at the bottom and then you've got like a nice lattice it's yeah pretty fun. Right, right so I think it even is sometimes maybe called the lattice theorem mm -hmm. um but that might yeah I think I think so but I uh, I wouldn't bet like your final exam on that if you need to cite something so yeah <laughs> Well, and, and then lattices are a different thing also. So I would I would be confused if I called it the lattice theorem. Well, yeah, I would I think, think it was the, about like lattices in the plane right. or something. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. I think the idea is it looks like like yeah. a lattice and most algebraists are like, oh, cool. We can call that well, a it, lattice because we don't actually. Yeah, it is a lattice, though, right? The, the set of subgroups, yeah, it is. It is. The set of subgroups is, is a lattice. I mean, it's, it's a partially, it partially ordered set with meets and joins and blah, blah, blah. But yeah. yeah, and what's funny is that the person I learned abstract algebra from in undergrad studied lattice ordered stuff. Mm. I forget if I forget exactly. It was algebraic stuff. Now I'm, of course, blanking on it. That was Marlo Anderson. And I am the retirement replacement for Bob Redfield at Hamilton, who studied lattice ordered subgroups. Mm. So right. um, so I, I come from I, you know, I inhabit this space where lattices surround me. So <laughs> right, kind right. of exciting. Yep. But you're right, this one's a little more obscure. I, I can't remember ever using this in life except for like doing homework. In yeah, I, I don't recognize a place in my life where I've used this one. Right. If I have, it was, I was just sort of ignorant to the fact that that was what was making things work, which right. is not unusual. This is why I need to have collaborators so they can be like, ah, uh, Gibbon. Yep. You know, like, <laughs> hope, hope only gets you so far. <laughs> right. All right. So um, number three. Yeah. All right. Number three. So number three, I think this one is low key my favorite, even though again, this is not one. Actually, no, I, I did use this. We use this in my um, in my modern algebra class this semester. This says, let's let's say you've got a group G and you've got a normal subgroup K and G and you've got a normal subgroup N and K. So you, you're normal all the way up. This says that if you take G mod N mod K mod N, which kind of looks like if you if you think of it as fractions, like if you were taking like like one half mod and dividing by three halves, this basically says you can cancel the denominators and you're mm -hmm. going to get G mod K, yeah. which is really nice because mm -hmm. like, if you think about what 
gmod n mod kmod n is gmod n is a group of cosets and kmod n is a subgroup of cosets and now you're making cosets out of cosets and that just like um that's a level of abstraction that you don't really want to work with directly and so having this isomorphism that's like that's the same thing as gmod k just work over there uh that's it's a really powerful thing and in yeah. my class, we were doing a bunch of Galois stuff. Like the, mm. our first course in algebra follows the um, the story of why there's no why the quintic isn't solvable by radicals, basically why there's no nice quintic formula that looks like the quadratic formula. Right. And when we get into the solvable groups thing, and you're building these chains of subgroups, and you want to like do stuff with them, um, we got on the sort of sidetrack of like, well, what if you wanted to mod out by one of the modded out things? Like, ah. Third isomorphism theorem. This is so cool. So, yeah, I remember fun. seeing this and possibly having it like a homework question or something in abstract algebra, probably in grad school. And I remember feeling like I was getting away with something when it, it you know, you could just like, like cancel the denominators, which is, you know, not yeah, I mean, what it actually like, is. It's, one of those things where like i'd be like sure that should work and and that's the hope i'm talking about like you gotta like check the details but again this one's one you prove with the first isomorphism theorem you set mm -hmm. up your surjection from g mod n to g mod k and you show oh all the stuff that's going to go to zero there was the stuff in k mod n, k mod n right? yeah. um, so uh so this is another nice one but it's it just looks so cool you're like i can cancel the denominators yeah. Yes. Life is good. You know, some people worry about the like that mathematics is like fundamentally flawed and we don't know where the error is. And I'm like, it, it can't be. Look, this this worked out. We can cancel denominators. Like that's <laughs> gotta be on solid ground. This it worked out exactly how we think it should. I love that. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. Just such a great attitude to go through life with. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I we could worry about the fundamental flaws or we could enjoy the wins where denominators cancel and say, we've, we've done pretty well for ourselves. We've built this in a sensible way. I sort of feel like even if we do find the place where it's bad, it doesn't mean that bridges are gonna fall down, right? I mean, most of what we built seems okay. I mean- Yeah. Yeah. And It'll probably only I... break something, you know, something like what Cameron talked about with us right. last month. Like, uh, where, some weird you know, all set the set theory, theory yeah. that'll, yeah. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. Who cares let, about let that? It, let it burn, right? Like, Just kidding, Cameron. No, I mean, there isn't there. I don't follow this very much, but I thought there was a modern push to sort of replace the foundations of math mm -hmm. with the set theory stuff with category theory instead. Um, or, or, homo yeah. or homotopy homotopy type homotopy theory. yeah yeah homotopy type theory which yeah. in my mind is just like you know an evil cousin of category theory <laughs> um but i i don't know i like homotopy but i don't know what homotopy type theory is um, i know it, it's I've, a little I'm scary afraid to it say scary it, yeah i i have not been able to figure out the like correspondence between what I think of as a homotopy, which is like, look, you can drag the little loop mm -hmm. around on the donut and homotopy type theory. Right. Yeah. Don't tell anyone. Yeah. I, and, well, and as someone who studies homology, I'm like, why would we do homotopies? They're kind of yucky. Like homology makes it nicer, right? Homology yeah. is the abelian. It's abelian, right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, why? I mean, I guess, you know, if you actually want to describe stuff in the real world you can't just live in commutative land but who wants to live in the real world 
<laughs> yeah, that's, that's where the that's how we do math. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's right. That's right. Not have to do that. Right. Exactly, right. exactly. The real world is full of snow. Uh, right, right. And yeah, yeah. So and climate change deniers. Sure. Yeah. So, so, so it's, it seems like you've had a long love for these theorems, right? This goes way back, right? This goes way back. For me, I was not actually intending to be a math major. Mm -hmm. I failed seventh grade math. Mm -hmm. uh, my elementary school report cards was like, she's very creative, not so great at math, you know, kind of mm -hmm. like asks all these, uh, asks too many questions, I think was mm -hmm. one of them. Mm -hmm. And my first existential crisis was like, what happens if we keep adding forever and we run out of names for the numbers? Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, I can't go to school. Like they, they, they asked me to add as high as I can. And I got to a hundred and I was like, I'm going to stop here. Cause like at some point, I know what to do, but I don't know what to say. And that was pretty, pretty <laughs> stressful for me. I hadn't worked out like the time calculation, like how long it would take me to get to the point where I didn't know the names of the numbers anymore. But that was at a time where like most of my classmates thought 31 was the biggest number because we only ever counted on the calendar. So, <laughs> right. um, yeah, so I was really <laughs> surprised in college. I mean, I was also a college dropout who went back. I was surprised in college to get caught up in math and actually mm. find that I could ask these questions mm -hmm. and my professors weren't like, Oh my God, shut up. They were like, what a cool question. Mm -hmm. And they would actually talk to me. And that I think it was the relationships more than the math that drew me in at first. Cause of course, mm -hmm. like by the time I transferred, I had, I was starting in multivariable calculus having finished my first year elsewhere. And I was like, it's cool. We're going to parametrize the way a leaf falls from a tree is mathematical poetry, all that. But like, it didn't mm -hmm. set my soul on fire. And then I took differential equations, which really didn't, set my soul on fire mm -hmm. although it was fun I had fun time in it um but when I got to algebra it was mm -hmm. like I felt like the language I was trying to speak my whole life was finally available to me it was mm -hmm. like all about relationships and these like very picky um not like picky in the sense of real analysis but like really you could talk about really subtle differences in things like the idea the idea uh the difference between an ideal and a subring to me mm. was like this really compelling thing because they're so similar but they're just a little bit different and mm -hmm. that little difference makes such a huge difference when you start talking about quotient objects and cosets right. and things like that I really loved it. And then when I saw the arrows come out, I was like, I'm hooked. This is, <laughs> this is like, I want to, I want to yep. build the isomorphism theorem of friendship. Like this is the way I want to describe everything in my world. Um, and I just got worse from there. <laughs> I had That's a brief great. flirtation with topology in grad school. Um, mm -hmm. And then I realized that you could be a commutative homological algebra person and steal all the cool diagrams, like the Meyer Viatora sequence and all of that. And you could deal with polynomials. Um, and, and I was like, all right, that's that's for me. That's what I'm going to do. Very cool. I mean, I'm a pretty algebraic topologist myself. I mean, not not so much anymore, but, but earlier in my career, I mean, I, I was like I was doing topology, but I was doing like homology of groups. So everything. Oh, I mean, yeah. So there's some geometry there, but not really. Right. You know, it's you're, yeah, you're really yeah. just thinking about algebra all day long. Yeah, I, I love that. I love yeah. Yeah. the the tools of homology mm -hmm. um i was tempted a little bit by geometric group theory because it's so pretty mm -hmm. and it's yeah. so fun and i think some of the best most fun conversations i had in grad school before starting my research work were with my friends who were taking that class too like we could just draw something on the board and argue about it for hours and that's you know yeah. one of the things i love 
most about math. I mean, I, I think I'm a mathematician. Some people are mathematician because they want to uncover these deep, beautiful, abstract truths. Mm-hmm. And I'm a mathematician because I like talking to people about math. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all the, all my research work, all my, you know, the, my job is really like, if I didn't do research, I wouldn't have math to talk to people about. So I've got to keep, you know, <laughs> got to keep doing the research and like ideally doing it with my friends so we can talk about math. And I love talking to my students about math. I love talking to you guys about math. Yeah. It's like, yeah. love talking to my family about math and they're like oh my god <laughs> please, <laughs> yeah. please don't please. explain again what an algebraic geophysicist does which is at one point what my mom decided i said i do commutative algebra which is close to algebraic geometry and in mm-hmm. her mind it became algebraic geophysicist which that sounds that, cool that's like a cool really gig cool. Yeah. yeah like yeah. i would do it if i knew yeah what it was yeah like, yeah like homology of rocks yeah yeah, yeah. figure I like to out when the next earthquake is going to be using commutative diagrams yeah maybe that's the the new um topological data analysis stuff where you're doing persistent homology yeah that's right well they you can use that to try to understand the structure of various things like you're looking for cavities inside of these rocks yeah. i mean there there people have done these analyses yeah it's real all right maybe that's my pivot mid-career pivot there you yeah algebraic geophysicist okay join right. appointment in the geology department <laughs> i get to go on their cool trips where they go hiking yep. i'm in i'm in right. Yeah. right okay so part two of this podcast so well we don't have a part three maybe there's a part three anyway we got three things here um <laughs> we, we ask our guests to pair their theorems with something so so what have you chosen <laughs> to, to pair the isomorphism theorems with well, I decided the best way to do this would be like a clickbaity BuzzFeed listicle kind okay, of thing. Great. So I'm going to start with theorem number three. Theorem number three was the theorem where you are canceling denominators. Mm-hmm. I can't, I, I think it's a really fun and satisfying theorem. And so what I recommend you pair this with is a small batch craft beverage, alcoholic or non, of your choosing. Because Mm -hmm. when you use this, you should like indulge all your senses, just like be overwhelmed with joy that this works out and you can just cross out the denominators. Um, For me, that would be like a nice local unfiltered wheat beer. Just sit back, cross those little denominators out and just be like, yes, life is good. Mm. We have built a good thing. That sounds great. That's great. So actually, one of my... The thing I might be looking forward to the most about the joint meetings being in Seattle, and Evelyn knows this, uh, my favorite distillery happens to be in Bainbridge Island. And and, and so I, I, I think I'm going to make a little side trip to um, procure the, their, their excellent whiskey that I cannot get here. I can only get it there. So this is, this is good. This is a good pairing. Oh, excellent. Are you taking orders? Well, I don't know. Are you, like, for, for, for you, I, I guess I could ship you something if you're really... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because I'm not going to make it in person this year. Yeah. Um, but I, I do love a good whiskey. Their whiskey is spectacular. Anyway. That sounds good. We're going to have to have an offline conversation okay. about this and compare yeah. some tasting notes. <laughs> um, all right. Theorem two. It's about multiplication and intersections. And what goes better with multiplication than bunnies? And okay. did you know there is a huge intersection of math people with bunnies, especially on Twitter? Yes. Yes. So <laughs> I think you've got to pair theorem number two with bunnies. You've okay. got to, if it, it's not a theorem you use super often, but if you do use it, you have to immediately go out and acquire a pet bunny and join the math bunny Twitter crowd. It's just, I, I don't think there's any way around to that. I think that's a, one of the laws of the universe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
I should apologize to the math bunny Twitter folks because they can infer that this is not the best thing, right? Number one is always the best thing you can you can have. Um, but I hope they'll forgive me when they hear that my pairing for theorem number one, the OG, the original isomorphism theorem, mm -hmm. is friends. Mm. When you use this theorem, you should think about your friends. You should write a note to your friends. You should talk to your friends. Um, I've got friends on the brain this week because uh, I had a, a, I was just thinking about a couple of friends of mine who passed away pretty young. One was in his mid thirties and one was in his uh, late thirties. One was in his mid forties. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I thought about Emmy's life and how she had a pretty tumultuous life, mm -hmm. right? Trying to make it onto the faculty at a, at a university in the mm -hmm. first place and then being like shipped, shipped out of the faculty to Bryn Mawr's gain, right? Yeah. She ended up at Basically Bryn Mawr. dodging Nazis. Yeah, dodging right. Nazis, right? <laughs> like, we talk about, like, oh, math is apolitical. And then you're like, mm. right, but, like, but is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, we, like, Bryn Mawr lucked out, I guess, because mm. they got, I mean, America in general, right? Lucked mm -hmm. out because we got all these amazing mathematicians who were fleeing Nazi Germany. But that sort of seems to me, and I'm not a math historian, but it seems to me that that must sort of mark the point where mathematics in Germany really took a back seat and why English has become the predominant language of mathematics. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. You I mean, the American mathematician, the great, you know, big names from the early 20th century studied in Germany. Mm -hmm. And yeah. now it, it does very much go the other way. There's even a quote about like the center of gravity of, of mm -hmm. research across the Atlantic because mm -hmm. of um, the, the Nazis. War, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, she, yeah. that was such a, that must've been such an awful thing to experience, like being expelled. And then also um, it just the, the uprooting of all of that. And then she died fairly young. She died at 53. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, it was complications from a surgery, a cancer surgery. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it just, it, it makes me wonder what did she have planned? Like what were her mathematical plans? What was she, how is she about to revolutionize physics again? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I mean her, her most famous theorem probably is the theorem that talks about conservation of mm -hmm. stuff under different types of symmetries. Like when you, when you do something, something is conserved, which is, I guess, super important to physicists. I've never used that one in my own work, but right. Um, yeah. Right. But like, she just, it seems like 53, she must've had so much more stuff planned for herself mm -hmm. mathematically physics physics stuff personal stuff mm -hmm. well um, and how would Bryn Mawr have been different and how would American it, you know would she have stayed at Bryn Mawr would she have ended up at a different university because I think she was only in the U.S. for a couple of years before that happened and yeah, so she barely right. even got to teach anyone mm. people I, I mean I guess that it should really be reversed. People barely got to people in the U.S. barely got to learn from her, right. and yeah, it, it's just it's really tragic when you read about it. And I, I think, yeah, it was I I think it was maybe an ovarian cancer surgery or or yeah, something. And I think that's right. She, I'm trying to remember. If she's one of the people who, like, seemed to be recovering fine, and thus then just kind of dropped dead a couple days later or something like that. It, yeah, it, I, I know that I read I've read up, about it. I don't know for sure. I read up this morning, actually, to make sure that I had her age right. And it seemed it seems like the Internet consensus, at least, is it was a viral infection. Mm -hmm. um, so the surgery went fine, but she had in incurred some infection. 
um, after the surgery and just dropped dead. Mm. Um, you think of Miriam Mirzakhani, also mm -hmm. someone who was taken really young with so much yeah. mass on the horizon. Um, but it, it's sort of hopeful, right? Like, you know, Emmy really didn't get the recognition she deserved, but Miriam Mirzakhani, of course, got at least some of the recognition she observed or she deserved, which mm -hmm. is, I guess, we're making some progress. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, like this this weekend, my friend and collaborator Nick Bates passed away um, from a really rapid pancreatic cancer. I think he had about a like he was diagnosed for he got the diagnosis maybe six weeks before he oh, died. Gosh. Wow, that's awful. Um, and I wish I had finished writing the note to him that I was that I was saying to him that it was just such a he and I are math siblings. He was uh, my math older brother, although we were in grad schools at grad school at different times. Um, but we met through our advisor, Roger Wiegand, who just his students become basically family. You know, we I know all my I know all my siblings and pretty much now and we we hang out and they're great. Uh, but that's how I started collaborating with Nick. And we started working on some semi group stuff, which is a little outside my wheelhouse, but related to some questions that I want to answer in my research life. And it was just so much fun to work with him. We'd started up a new collaboration um, and, you know, like. We paused it, obviously, six weeks ago. Um, but I thought I had enough time to tell him just what a wonderful surprise it was to find uh, like such a like-minded person to collaborate with, somebody who is like super generous with ideas, super generous with um, co-authorship. You know, it was like it, it really felt like if you'd you'd had a good conversation with Nick about something, he'd be like, "Do you want to be a co-author? Like, can you can you prove this thing? Like, let's actually keep doing it." And I know that's not always the norm in math. Some people are very um, protective of their ideas, not without reason, but it was just such a a joy to work with somebody who actually felt, you know, like that it was more fun to do math with people. And that was why you did math. Mm -hmm. than you have to go chasing down these, you know, big outstanding results. Not that what he worked on wasn't important. I mean, he had a Fulbright in Austria. It was pretty cool. And, um, but yeah, I'm, I just been thinking about that and, you know, this other, my graduate office mate who died uh, like a year and a half ago, who was also really young. And just thinking about for someone like me who does math to talk math with friends, I, I think it's a good, I think I need the reminder that I should tell my friends that I enjoy talking math with them and I enjoy being yeah. their friends more often. Yeah. And so for me, every time I sit down and calculate a free resolution and I do my little thanks, Emmy, I'm going to also jot a note to somebody, just a, a short note, like, hey, I was using Emmy Norther's first isomorphism theorem today, and I thought I'd say hi. <laughs> That's so, great. That I great. love that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, maybe there is a third part to this podcast. We, we, we always like to give our guests a chance to, uh, to plug anything if they, so like, where can we find you on the, on the internet? Or, oh boy! Or, or do you have something you really want to? Yeah, know, if you have promote the... or some awesome yeah. thing talk coming up or whatever. You can find me on Twitter. I am addicted to Twitter. I am at virtual Courtney. Um, mm -hmm. that is my online presence as opposed to my corporeal presence, which is mm -hmm. at corporeal Courtney. Mm -hmm. Um, although I don't, I don't know if that's on Twitter. Um, anyway, <laughs> I tweet a lot there. Um, my pinned tweet there is a 10 minute pep talk that I recorded for my students during pandemic, pandemic times. Mm. Uh, and this is a pep talk I give pretty frequently to students who are 
maybe in their first math course where it's not just calculus, like one through 20, mm -hmm. we're, right. we're starting to develop proof techniques mm -hmm. or we're dealing with things that are more abstract than things they've thought about before. Or we're encountering the isomorphism theorems and they're like, oh my God, what do these arrows mean? <laughs> Um, and they're having this crisis of confidence, like, am I cut out to be a mathematician? And mm. my my little 10 minute pep talk goes into my own bumpy route to becoming a mathematician. Um, I'm plugging it a little bit self-consciously. I put it as an email attachment to my students and I had put it on YouTube and meant to make it unpublished, but clicked the wrong button. And then suddenly it like had been shared and I was getting emails about it and had like thousands of views and I was like I guess I'll leave it up hmm. um so I'll plug that for anybody who's feeling a little bit uh I don't know shaky in their mathematician identity or you know not sure that they're allowed to have a mathematician identity I certainly feel like the last person who was supposed to become a mathematician right my initial plan was to be a French major and um I did take my graduate language language exams in French so it's good that I studied enough French to know the subjunctive. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so I'll plug that. And then I'll, I'll say one more thing. I am working on writing an open source, remixable, free, web work enabled algebra textbook that mm. takes my predecessor Bob's idea of using um, Galois theory for the first course in modern algebra, mm -hmm. and makes it makes it into an active pedagogy um, kind of thing, sort of in the model of active calculus. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. And so, so I am on sabbatical next year, next academic year, and that's my main project. Um, and if anybody wants to like test web work problems or, you know, like help out <laughs> when I'm like, I, why did I think I could write a textbook? Um, I'm happy to talk math with old friends, new friends, math book friends, web work friends, anybody who wants to, you know, help make that thing actually happen. Neat. Yeah. And keep, uh, you know, selfishly keep me in the loop about it. Mm. I'd love to know about it when it comes out here. You're, you're actually convincing me and several of our guests are always like working on me on like, I should really learn algebra a little better mm. and feel a little more comfortable with some of these ideas. So. Well, sure. I will keep you, at. I'll keep you in mind as a beta tester. I've, I've over the years, I've developed all these active learning worksheets, um, that are like the basis for the book mm -hmm. and i they look fun my students are my well they used to smile now they're masked so i just assume they're smiling all the time um <laughs> but they you know they would smile and argue when they were working on them which is the what i had hoped mm -hmm. would happen so oh that's great yeah all right yeah you Thank should you. rope some friends in to to learn mm -hmm. algebra with yeah i think that's the most important thing for sticking with it is having pals well good luck yeah. you know as someone thank who's you you know i've written a couple of books that you always reach this point where it's like why am i doing this what, what, what it's what did i get myself yeah. into but the, once you push through that it's fine so. i'm in the planning stage where i have a big wiki essentially mm -hmm. like a like a big table with like like here here's chapter one's outline here's all the resources for everything in here and, and like now it's a matter of actually connecting the things like right. well i mean pretext is its own special mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thing learning learning pretext but um but yeah i think it will be i think it will be a good experience i feel a little bad because you know both my algebra professor marlo anderson and my predecessor bob redfield have these great books and i'm like 
no, I'm not going to use those. <laughs> I'm going to write my own. <laughs> yeah, stick it to you guys. Um, but I think like what I haven't seen is a mixture of the active pedagogy with the Galois theory mm. as like the thing that links rings, groups, and fields. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's what I want to create and put out there. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, yeah. this has been uh, this has been a lot of fun, Courtney. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. I have sort of been like, when are they going to ask me <laughs> for, for a little while? Um, not thinking like maybe I could just reach out and be like, hey, ask me. So I was I was really excited <laughs> when you did. And I've loved listening to the podcast. Oh, and I appreciate you both for for making it happen. It's thanks. awesome. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lamb. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Wen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at Nivik that's Kevin spelled backwards followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M, that's at myfavoritetheorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.